when you think about a fortune cookie, I mean, they taste pretty rubbish, don't they? And we still love them. So what is it that we're buying? We're not buying that cookie and the taste of the cookie. We're buying that little piece of paper that's inside it. And the feeling that creates in us, you know, that just a little bit of magic, a little bit of joy uh, in the moment. And that's that's what we're craving when we uh, buy anything, some kind of connection. You are listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast inspiring creatives of all types by giving you a glimpse into the lives and creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. And welcome, everyone, to Louder Than Words, where we're giving you guys a glimpse into the lives of some of the most innovative entrepreneurs, writers, designers, creators in general, to inspire all of us. I'm John Benini. I'm a conversion copywriter. I have a website where I post about creating copy that drives action, from headlines to button text to emails. So please come and find me and connect. Um, and today, we're hanging with Bernadette Jiwa an author, speaker, and master in the art of storytelling. She's written four number one Amazon bestsellers, Make Your Idea Matter, The Fortune Cookie Principle, Difference, and her newest one, Marketing, A Love Story, How to Matter to Your Customers. So you can see a trend here. She's a TED speaker. Her blog was named the best business blog in Australia in 2012, and she works with companies all over the world on building a brand based around story. Bernadette, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Welcome, and how is everything going? I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, and thanks for for dealing with the time difference. So for uh, for everybody listening, obviously, Bernadette is located in Australia. I'm here in the Northeast, about two hours south of Boston, an hour and a half north of New York City. So it's about uh, 9 p.m. over there your it time. It is. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> so so if I was you, I would probably be getting ready for bed right about now. And uh, I'm just waking up, so <laughs> we're both Well, I'm a, I'm a morning person, so if I'm not articulating very well, you know what? Why? If I'm on go slow, <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't had coffee yet, so if I'm not articulating, then then you know why. So so thanks for for dealing with the time difference, and uh, this should be a lot of fun. So I'm really excited to have you here, um, and um, yeah, let's jump into it. Uh, I I just wanted to so so I I heard about you through uh, a mutual friend, Damian Farnworth, who was also on this podcast, and also through um, Seth Godin. I've seen a lot written from him about you. He's he's had very high praise of your books. Um, so I guess you know, describe sort of the path that led you to the work that you're doing now. Oh, this has been a really squiggly career, I guess. Um, the sort of work that I've done my whole life has been around. Uh, it's been very people centered work. Um, so I've had lots of different. Uh, relationship-based jobs, managerial jobs in things from cafes to being a nurse, all sorts of things. And um, I didn't really get into the writing side of it until I read Seth's uh, book, which was Purple Cow, about 10 years ago. And that just switched on a light bulb for me and and um, just started digging into that that work and and the idea of um, you know creating difference I think for people and that's how I've ended up doing what I'm doing now 
So Seth's to blame, basically. <laughs> well, he's he's to blame for many marketers. I know I had a similar a similar reaction after reading Purple Cow, Purple Cow as well. That's interesting. <laughs> and and even more so, um, all marketers are liars. Uh, that that oh, one is that's is, my favorite book. Yeah, that one too, which plays right into right right into your wheelhouse. So um, and with storytelling. So talk about talk about your fascination because. You know, from reading your bio on your website, it sounds like storytelling has been a part of you long before you were doing it as a career. So, talk about your fascination with 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 storytelling. Uh, you know, I didn't realize that so much until recently, when uh, you know some light bulbs went off. I'm from Ireland originally, and if if you've even if you've never been there irish people are renowned for being great storytellers and not shutting up basically i mean the key to being a great storyteller is actually to be a great listener too but irish people just love any excuse to sit down put on the kettle um a pot of tea and and you're away people love listening and telling listening to and telling stories there uh, so that was my childhood. Uh, I grew up in a, 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 with a huge extended family and we always had neighbors and visitors in and out of the house. And I, I guess I grew up around adults always talking. <laughs> so, uh, and I did a lot of listening to what they were saying. And that's, I think, how it started. But I've only tracked that back recently. Yeah, I think what you see too in, in many people that our our passionate writers and storytellers are very curious so it sounds like that's a, that's a trait that you certainly you know had um what about writing was that something you always aspire to do something you were always good at or is that something you sort of discovered you know as your career progressed um the, it's really recent um i think i loved doing it at school at a younger age but it gets knocked out of you in school when you have to start d- conforming to structure and and certain ways of um, creating so I've only discovered the the writing bug in again in the last five years um, which is really interesting and strange I I feel like it's a really great way for me to express what I'm to express what I'm actually thinking and feeling because I like many writers I'm I'm much better able to articulate myself in the written word than I am in conversation so it's just something you sort of ran into and then you just rattled off four number one Amazon bestsellers (laughs) you're very modest uh, oh, I don't write long. You know, I write short and and hopefully meaningful and and try to go deep, but as opposed to long. And and I hope I hope that's what I achieve. I I think so. Judging by you know the response that they get. Uh, so you know your first your your first book, make your idea matter. Sort of, you know, is based around this thesis that ideas in isolation are not enough. So a lot of what we talk about on this podcast with a lot of people as ideas because people in creative positions, whether they're writers or whatever they are, a lot of them entrepreneurs have a ton of ideas. Um, some are never executed. Some are executed poorly. Some are executed very well. Um, but like I said, the thesis of your book is ideas in isolation are not enough. So can you elaborate on that a bit and, and what that means for, for entrepreneurs? 
Uh, yeah, I can. You know, it's easy to have ideas. And as you say, ideas are 10 a penny. But the thing that makes ideas meaningful is that they align with a worldview of somebody else that you, that who is going to absorb and pay attention to and fall in love with that idea. So let's say it's an idea for a business or a product, whatever that might be. Um, you can put an idea out there into the world, but uh, as J.K. Rowling, I love this line, and um, no story lives unless someone wants to listen. And it, and same goes for ideas. If if nobody cares about your idea, then it just it, it's never going to gain traction. So, my next book is actually all about this uh, principle of creating ideas that fly and how we create ideas that fly is we start with the story of the people the idea is for sure and so and 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 i love the line too it doesn't matter how good your idea is if nobody cares they don't buy into your idea they buy into how it makes them feel this this sort of reminded me a little bit of simon sinek too and how he Mm, says no one you know cares what you do they care why you do it it's it's sort of similar um and in your ted talk you sort of address the left brain thinkers in the room because uh it seems like this sort of thing is misconstrued a lot and like oh yeah you know you know telling a great story and making people believe in what i do that's great but we have a business to run and we know what works so talk about like what you're you know you you brought up some examples uh in order to sort of counteract that friction that you sort of anticipated from a left brain thinker um you know, bottled water, you know, what can you can you talk about some of those other examples of things that we do that we may not even be thinking that the reason we're doing them isn't so much of the idea itself, but how it makes us or someone else feel? Oh, well, bottled water is a classic example. Uh, I don't remember bottled water being around when I was a kid growing up. Uh, so what's that about? You know, why? where did when did we start buying into that story? Um uh, Brista coffee, you know, uh, $4 a cup. How is that worth $4 a cup? It's, a, you know, it was a commodity at one stage. Now it's not any longer. So uh, I've I've got this kind of neat little equation which says um, product minus meaning equals commodity, product plus meaning equals brand. And you can, if you can attach meaning to something, then that's what branding's about. So uh, white earbuds from Apple being a classic example. Um, earbuds when I was growing up, um, or probably when my kids were growing up, to started off being black commodity worth a couple of dollars. Suddenly, uh, the iPod launches in 2001. Earbuds are white. They're designed to stand out, and you want people to notice your earbuds. And and today they're what are they? Thirty nine bucks, I think here. Yeah, it's about here. And and the funny thing about the earbuds example, too, is when those came into popularity, they've improved a bit over the years, but people actually lost audio quality by Mm -hmm. switching to them because everyone was Mm -hmm. using, you know, Sony headphones at the time. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, they sacrificed some quality because of what they believed in. So that's that's funny that you say that. And and that, that kind of brings me to my next point is I guess there 
there has to be a threshold somewhere, right, between telling a great story but also having a quality product. Because in the case, like I said, of Apple earbuds, people were willing to sacrifice a bit of quality because of how it made them feel when they wore them or how they were portrayed to other people. I'm hip. I I have an iPod. Mm-hmm. I, you know, so so where does where does that play into it? Because you know, you could say the same thing. You sort of alluded to this a little bit. Starbucks. You know, people are paying a lot of money for coffee. Um, I would think that they wouldn't do that if the coffee tasted like crap, right? Um, well, I have to say that living in Melbourne, you can't get a bad cup of coffee. And uh, Melburnians would probably, a lot of Melburnians wouldn't go to Starbucks. So it's interesting there are different levels of quality. But quality is a given in it today. Uh, people expect it. So you can't you can't market something that's just pure rubbish the the thing is that if quality is a given and so if, for example uh we were out tonight to, just for a family dinner and walking along the street pizza restaurant after pizza restaurant after pizza restaurant how do they differentiate they're all selling the same very similar product same quality, same kind of restaurant, same wait staff, same menu. How do you differentiate in that situation? You've got to do something extra to create that level of meaning because the quality is a given. They, that's expected. Uh, so we've got to do something that's unexpected. Yeah, quality or table stakes. And <clears throat> a lot of what we've been talking about too, I want to kind of move more towards your wheelhouse here because I know you work with businesses all over the world. Um, you know, to to tell a better brand story and to insert meaning into what they're doing. But a lot of the examples that we've talked about so far, they can kind of border on recreational purchases, right? Coffee, earbuds, roses on Valentine's Day, bottled water. We don't really have to buy these things. These are like, you know, we want these things. So, well, what about when it comes to like B2B service? This is a this is a space that many people view as dry boring. Mm. It's it's yeah. hard to make interesting. It's hard to insert meaning. It's hard to tell a great story because, well, it's a service and it's business and we have to spend a lot of money and you know we have to do it in some cases. So can this whole mantra and and I already know the answer to this, but I, uh, you know, I'm fascinated by your answer by it. How does this all translate to to the B two B space um, and and with big business? Okay, so I've got an example there of a company that I am still working with, but I've just worked because they were with they were uh, transitioning their branding, and um, it's a B two B business. Uh, they sell um, locks to hotels. That was their business, and when we got when we dug down into how their business started, uh, the founder of that business was a lock engineer in Norway. Uh, 40 years ago, he heard this story about uh, Connie Francis, actually, the, the U.S. singer, was attacked in her hotel room. And he heard this story and he loved Connie Francis anyway. But for by that, he was really moved by her story and he just decided to that he was going to create a solution which would be a unique key for every uh, hotel room, which wasn't the case at the time. We used to obviously open doors with um, metal keys. And... Uh, that's B2B, great foundational story because it's a human connection. I mean, when you think about story, it's about human connection and B2B business is about human connection too. 
Uh, Google is a B2B business. Uh, MailChimp is a B2B business. They've still got their, they've still injected humanity into their business with their uh, logo, with design, uh, with their the way they approach people with their copy. Um, so I don't buy the fact that, oh, well, B2B is dry and we can't go there with story because B2B businesses are run by people too. So where do, where do people look? You know, there's, there's some cases like the example that you just gave where the story is sort of, you know, woven into the fabric of the business, like his background, his history. But some businesses obviously don't have that luxury. It's, it's, it, it was maybe based off an idea that they had. They started a business and they might not have much of a history to, to go off of. So where does somebody start? So when somebody comes to you and, and, and they need help sort of revitalizing their brand, what are some common places that people can look that they, they might feel like, I don't have a great story to tell? Where can they look to find it in places that they may not even think to be looking? Well, that was that business was an example. They weren't actually some of the people in the business weren't aware of the backstory, and we we just started digging in the history. But not just that, we started talking about why they were in business and what was important about what they did, apart from you know, what they actually installed in a hotel room. So, what did that mean? What was the what was the you know, if you look at Simon Sinek's work, that would be an amazing place for people to start. Start with why. Why are you in this business? Um, beyond, you know, don't start with what we do or, or how we do it. Start with why we're in this business. One of the other places where I take people is um, part of the book, Difference, uh, and people can download this uh, resource that I'm going to tell you about at difference.is, is the difference map. And that actually is a template for taking people through some of the truths really about their marketplace and their industry and the people they serve. What I generally get people to do is, uh, businesses to do, is think about the people that they serve. And that suddenly throws up all sorts of uh, things in the background. Because generally, ideas don't happen in isolation. If you if you dig deeper, you can get the reason behind why that thing started. Yeah, it's a lot easier, I think, when you start with the end user rather than yourself. Because I think mm-hmm. just naturally it gets you out of your own head a bit. Um, and, and when it comes to, to story, I think marketers have belabored the whole idea behind storytelling. I think to the point where I'm not sure most people really know what it means anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Could you talk sure. about just some of the bait? Like what makes up a great brand story? And if you had to describe it as best you could, what, what is storytelling as it relates to brands? Uh, I think we get really confused about what storytelling is. We think it's a narrative. So it's just the copy that we put on our website. That's what we generally, um, you know, how do we tell our story? So you might say it's what I write in my about page, but it's everything. It's how you answer the phone. It's the design or uh, the font on your website. Uh, Apple being the, the most amazing example of that. It's the... Uh, naming of your um, 
of like yeah, Starbucks, the great example of the venti. It's how you name things. It's uh, how romantic you get in 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 that way. Uh, it's all sorts of things. It's how you reach out to people. It's it's sometimes not even what you say. It's what your customers say about you. It's the reviews on your on um, TripAdvisor. It's the testimonials on your website. I've actually got. Um, if, if people want to Google 20 keys to a brand story, they'll probably find a, a post on my blog, which will bring them to um, a handy graphic. Or maybe I can send you, you can put it in the show notes, I can send you the link. And there's a handy graphic there from one of my books. Absolutely. And you you kind of just moved into, well, first, I'd like to address that I think you're exactly right in most people view storytelling as a narrative and it's it's written yeah. it's putting a good about page together and throwing a good company profile together but like you said it's the interior of starbucks versus the interior of dunkin donuts it's they're both mm-hmm. telling different stories but they're both massively successful uh, yep. so so i think that that's i think that gives people more hope because a lot of people just think it's writing and it's like well you know, I'm not a great writer, and and it could have nothing to do with writing, and just mm-hmm. about the experience that you're offering people. And I think that that is something that uh, many people overlook, and it's just like the experience, and like you said, how it how it makes people feel. And and you you have a a, a statistic that you uh, bring up in your TED talk where you say 95 percent of decisions are made unconsciously without reason or logic. Um, mm. So I guess talk about you for a second. Um, because I'm always curious for you know for people like you and 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 for people like Seth and, and Simon Sinek, people that are so conscious of you know the brand experience and brand storytelling and like what kinds of stuff appeals to you because I know it's different for all of us. So what decisions I guess do you make without reason or logic when it comes to you know purchasing things? Hmm. That's an interesting one. Um, I like to, books are a huge weakness and I like to go and, and pick up a book and feel the texture of the cover and hold it in my hands. And there's something about a book being the souvenir of an idea that I can't get away from. So often I'll be sold on, on a cover, um, which yeah, is, is not logical. Because, uh, you know, I could pick up that book cheaper on, on, on Amazon for Kindle, but sometimes you just want the souvenir. Um, I am probably the world's worst shopper because uh, I uh, hate shopping. I, <laughs> I don't enjoy it. It's not one of the things I love doing and I don't like luxury cars or anything. So I don't, I like buying things for other people and then I can become completely irrational. Uh, like I, I will I've spent two hundred dollars in a chocolate bar once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way with books. I I can't get into the ebooks or the e-readers yet. I'm I'm not sure that I ever will because it's 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 that it's that physical thing that happens when you're holding a book and you could feel how far along you are. And I don't get that from my iPad. So nope. it tells me what page I'm on, but I can't feel it in my hands. And I'm the same way. I probably have. Um, this is sort of embarrassing. I, I swear I'm not a hoarder, but I have 22 books right now on my coffee table. 
22 books. And it it does have a bottom (laughs) shelf. So I don't want you to think there's just like 22 books piled up stacked high on the top. There is a bottom shelf of the thing. But uh, yeah, and and I'll, I'll probably buy more this weekend. But I do read them all. But um, I, I see exactly what you're saying um, when it comes to books. And um, so I want to talk about one of your other books here, and it's The Fortune Cookie Principle. And I think this is so fascinating because you found a, a completely unique way to talk about uh, something that you know some others have hit on, but I think the way you in which you tell the story is more effective because you relate it to something that we all know, fortune cookies. So tell us what the fortune cookie principle is, uh, because like I said, you've positioned it in such a fascinating way. So what is it? Uh, so when you think about a fortune cookie, I mean, they taste pretty rubbish, don't they? And we still love them. So what is it that we're buying? We're not buying that cookie in the taste of the cookie. We're buying that little piece of paper that's inside it. And the feeling that creates in us, you know, that just a little bit of magic, a little bit of joy uh, in the moment. And that's worth that's what we're craving when we uh, buy anything, some kind of connection. It's and and I, you know, I say um, in one of my books that marketing, um, branding, sales is a transfer of emotion, and it certainly is. You know, any kind of sales or service, or it, that's that's all it is—a human to human connection. And can you retell because you told a great story? Um, about Justin Genak and how this um, this obviously represents how anybody, any one of us, by focusing on telling the story, by focusing on the fortune, on how you know the experience makes someone feel, we can really market anything. So, can you retell that story here? I can. So, I've just reached up to my bookcase that's in front of my desk and I've picked down Justin kindly sent me a cube uh so Justin uh Justin actually got this idea when he was a designer he was he was thinking about how you add meaning and value to things that are worthless and he got this idea about how could he sell garbage so he packaged he went on the streets and collected some garbage uh, and he packaged it in these Perspex cubes and it says um, garbage of New York City, uh, 100% authentic, hand-picked from the fertile streets of New York, New York. And so in this cube that I have got, he's there's a squashed McDonald's cup, there's a straw, a piece of newspaper and a piece of smashed mirror and a bottle top. And I've forgotten because it's a, it's a couple of years since I connected with him. I think these cubes started, he, he probably, I think he sold, the, started selling them on the sidewalk for 20 bucks. Eventually they started selling for 50 bucks and people were collecting them as souvenirs. He's done uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade in Dublin. He's done Obama inauguration. Um, you know, this is, this is garbage, but when he created some context and meaning around it it became meaningful to people and it became valuable so he added this extra layer of value by um, creating context and meaning for people and connecting them to their feelings about the city and yeah it's it's fascinating but can, but can it be taken the wrong way like this this is a guy who marketed garbage so <laughs> taken literally 
somebody could be like, well, I mean, really, we don't have to focus so much on what the product is. This guy's marketing garbage. We just have to focus more on the experience. Obviously, that could be misconstrued, right? It could, but, you know, it's how he packaged it. And, and you know, it was a bit tongue-in-cheek. I think the people who, I believe that the people who would buy a garbage cube get the joke. They understand what they're buying. And, you know, they're sort of smirking at themselves for getting the joke. I mean, it's, it is limited edition. They are numbered and dated and stuff like that, you know, and, and it's, and it's, a, it gives me a story to tell. That's the other piece. This, this, this is the gift that keeps on giving. You've got a story to tell your friends. Um, that's why it works. It's a really fascinating story. And, and for everyone listening, look up uh, Bernadette's TED talk because she posts a picture of what these packages look like of the garbage and they're really well done it's it, it really makes you you know i would i would buy that and you know you talk about the different price points on how it's like oh that's kind of neat for 10 bucks but at 50 bucks it's a collectible item and it's funny mm-hmm. how price really you know the, the perception of price really changes the experience for us as well so it's a it's a really fascinating story um and and bernadette i want to end here uh, you know sort of your central thesis around everything that you do is uh, it's important for us to change not just what people think, but how they feel and consequently what they do. So where can we all start right after we are done listening to this episode today to start moving in that direction and do a better job of that as a brand? Uh Talk to one person at a time. I think the one of the things we're very guilty of, I really believe this, is trying to reach out to everyone and then speaking to no one um, as a consequence. So think about the one person who's going to uh, land on your website today or think about what they're coming looking for and not just think about them as somebody who's a blip on your analytics really um i think really just give a damn about the people you're trying to serve and do it one person at a time i can't think of a better way to end bernadette this was so much fun your your story and and your work is so fascinating i can't wait to see i know you you hinted at it that you're working on uh, another book so i can't wait to see what you have next thank you so much for coming on louder than words today i had a lot of fun Thanks, John. Awesome. And for everyone else listening, I hope you enjoyed today's episode as well. Please like us, subscribe, share with your friends, write a review, um, and join us for next time because we're going to have more great guests. So we'll see you soon. So long, everyone. Mm-hmm.